Hello, I am James Rudman for Food Manufacture, and I was in discussion with Nigel Sampson, Managing Director of Home, Farm and Venison, to discuss the game and wild venison market, as well as the effect that COVID-19 and Brexit has had on his business over the past 18 months. Well, I'm Nigel Sampson, and I'm the Managing Director of Home, Farmed Venison. Um, my background is farming originally, um, and then I eventually ended up managing an estate on the west of Scotland on the Isle of Jura, where we were looking after cattle and sheep, and I spent my time keeping um, the deer off the farm. <laughs> um, but actually, Jura means deer, is the Norse for deer, and there were over 5,000 head of deer on Jura, so that was quite a challenging um, time. Um, and it was at that time that we went to, to our first ever deer farming conference um, up near Fort William, um, where there were 400 attendees, and it was absolutely buzzing at the time. Um, so when eventually our job was finished up there and we came back to Yorkshire and secured a small farm, um, having looked at opportunities in Devon and Cornwall and other parts of Scotland as well, um, we, um, we thought, why didn't we have a go to deer farm? So, because we enjoyed what we'd seen of what we'd seen up there. Um, so that was really what got us into it. And at that stage, there was a marketplace through somebody called the the BDPS, which is a British Deer Producer Society. But ultimately, once we got into deer finishing, we saw the opportunity for finishing deer, whereby we would buy calves from Scottish Hill suppliers, a bit like cattle and sheep in the past, and we'd bring them down to Yorkshire and give them good grazing. We have a, a low ground, um, heavy land farm, ideal for grass. Um, we could bring them down and, and, and complete the circle that way. Um, but it turned out, ultimately, that the BDPS weren't really of any great value. Um, and so the only way we could make deer farming work was to actually get involved in the marketing of deer ourselves. And that's what brought us to Home Farm Benison, at that point based in Cumbria. And we started supplying them. Eventually, we joined forces with them and brought them over to Yorkshire. And after a succession of factories initially working in the back of other people's premises, we eventually moved to our own and we're now in factory number four, um, stroke five, um, from where we started, which has given us roughly 10,000 square foot of space and mezzanine floored area for all the storage of packaging and goods. Um, so we've now got a sort of a proper going on. So that sort of is the sort of quick summary of, of the background. Was it particularly uh, hard for you to find uh, skilled workers for that area in, you know, in comparison to maybe more mainstream meats? Yeah, um, I think um, ultimately deer have got four legs and, and the same muscle groupings as um, all other um, farmed animals that, that we know of. Um, so uh, butchery skills within one profession are easily transferable to another. Um, but what we didn't know about was how to deal with the carcass, and that that was a that was a, a different set of parameters. In the past, venison would have been hung for quite a long time, allowed to get quite gamey, um, mm. would actually lose its colour from red to go quite a dark colour, and in many ways that had been putting people off the off the product. And so, with our farm product, we were able to apply red meat controls and bring onto the market a far more less gamey product far more product based up based on good health and and not too strong a flavor and it's that that really won the market opportunity for it but to do that 
it meant hanging the carcasses for no more than two or three days at the most before they started to change color, but also to make sure we didn't lose the moisture in the carcass because that there isn't any fat within the muscles to break down in cooking. So if you lose the natural moisture in the meat, you can't add it with a sauce. Well, you can add it with a sauce, but it's never as good as if it's there to start with. So the whole process then became about how do we, how do we retain one, the color and two, the moisture. So the time that we had the meat out in a, it, within the butcher's area had to be restricted. Um, the time we were hanging it obviously had to be restricted. We much preferred it to mature in a plastic bag or a vacuum pack for a week and, and where we have control of it as against it just hanging on a rail. Um, and it was those sort of differences. Um, the other main difference too was that venison starts to lose that color within about 45 minutes. And so if you're not very careful, you end up with a two colored steak and that color variation can move into the state by about a quarter of an inch. Um, and although many people would enjoy eating it, it wouldn't visibly be a very attractive to, to a housewife or a, or a purchaser. Right. So that's where the differences lay, is the answer to that. Do you, have you found any pushback from more traditional game lovers? Um, or have you uh, bought on more uh, customers who have liked this, uh, you know, the less gamey meats, have you sort of lost from one side to gain from the other, or is it sort of equaled out? No, there, there ha has been quite a quite a change in, in that, in that initially through the farmed operation, we ended up buying nearly all the deer we could get our hands on at one stage, um, and even to the extent of importing up to 50% of farmed deer from New Zealand to meet the market that we had created. But at the same time as that was happening, we were seeing a a growth in the wild population of deer in the UK. Um, more people wanted to eat, eat locally, more people want to use the local raw material. So that fund made fundamental changes. At the same time, the game, the game meat suppliers were improving their operations, tidying up their act, getting the BRC and salsa approvals, which again made it easier for us to deal with them. But it was a fundamental change in the game rules, laws, that made the big difference in that in the past, all game meat through the game route had to have an hexagonal stamp. Um, whilst we were working on a square stamp, and then eventually an EU stamp. And so the UK retail trade had to have an EU stamp um, for us to um, gain access to it. And eventually it was accepted that game meat could also have the EU stamp. So that suddenly made available to us all this raw material. And since then we've been moving over from farm because ultimately this raw material is in surplus. It's running around and it's half the price of farm deer um, and very much fits the sort of the general public's view of, you know, we should be eating, you know, in, in, in a, in, in a, in a way which is fully sustainable and, and you know we now have a sustainable raw material which was a challenge getting it but we've now achieved that with the use of scottish and english venison and deer um, to get an all-year-round supply of good quality deer so now farmed product is probably only five ten percent at the most of what we do okay so it's been so that's quite a good news story really we got rid of We've got rid of food miles um, and, and, and we are 
using a UK natural resource. In fact, it's probably the healthiest meat available and the most sustainable meat available. And has that been a big change as of recent? Obviously, um, you know, talked about previously having to import meat and whatnot. Has the likes of Brexit and things uh, changed how you do things? Or um, were you prepared much before those sort of issues of, with the EU began? Um, I think I think Brexit forced the decision to be made quicker, is the answer to that, because obviously the pound devalued and, and, and suddenly some of the meat we had coming from abroad was too expensive. So that made us jump around thinking, what the hell can we do about it? Um, so, yeah, we, we responded quickly to that. Um, but we had a transition in process, um, luckily, before that started. You're now available on supermarket shelves. Has there been, has it been an, a struggle to do so? Have there been pushback from the supermarkets who may may or not actually wanted that kind of meat? Uh, could you sort of talk us through that process of sort of getting out there? I mean, the, the way the supermarket trade works is, is that initially you create the trade through through catering. And then once people have experienced it, they may buy it by mail order to take home. But if they um, have enjoyed that meat and it's been well presented, then they hopefully may look for it on the shelves um, through farm shops initially, smaller retailers, more sort of artisan retailers, and eventually obviously into the large retail tra- retail train. It's a natural um, hmm. progression. Um, and at one stage, we probably supplied most of the bigger retailers in the country, not hmm. all of them, but some of them. And um, that, to a degree, hasn't succeeded um, because the emphasis on UK retail has been on price um, and more of a commodity. And I think that, in general, we've lost out in that situation. Um, In many ways, we've become more artisan and become more specialist um, because we find that's really what our customers are looking for. Um, So we do have a bit of a conflict with retail at the moment although we still do supply some retail, but we don't get the buzz from it that we used to get. Um, and there isn't the surge in interest that we had previously. And has COVID-19 had anything to do with that at all? Well, COVID-19 has been, obviously, it, it did boost sales, you know, like everybody's shelves, they were all emptied. But um, the healthy element of COVID has been the mail order side. And luckily we had a mail order side. And, and that was suddenly lifted up to the Christmas levels and hasn't got back to those. But, but we have a healthy mail order side now all the time um, where people are ordering a whole range of specialist cuts that they normally would be getting at a restaurant and things of that nature. Or cuts that certainly wouldn't be stocked in retail, whereby there wouldn't be enough demand for such specialist cuts. Um, so it has opened up a huge market opportunity and people's acceptance of home delivery better insulation. We now use wool as the lining in our packaging. We use cardboard boxes. We don't have polystyrene anymore. You know, all these things have improved and people's acceptance of receiving product this way has improved too, along with, you know, delivery companies who are far more efficient at getting it out. So it's been a win-win all round, really. And could you possibly talk about um, what your most popular uh, products are? What cuts are the ones that people tend to be going for? Well, in retail, most of the sales will be in steaks and burgers, sausages and things of that nature. They are the ultimate drivers in that area. In mail order, um, the drivers are the loin, the fillet, T-bones, racks, cutlets, 
um, all the most premium cuts. And then they make the order up with the lower products. Um, we also sell a lot of mints too. Mints is really popular. And venison mints is beautifully lean. You know, we've got less than 2% fat in it, less than 1% saturated fat. So once people work with the mints, they think, wow, this is really quite good. Um, and so all the traditional cuts and lasagnas and whatever you want to make work really well with venison mints. So we've got an increasing market for things of that nature, where a slightly more foodie orientated person may well be buying it. What keeps you up at night? What are the things that you worry most about within your business? Or do you have any worries at all? Is it all clean sailing ahead for you? <laughs> no, I think, I think the latter is not the case. <laughs> Um, no, it's certainly not clean sailing. I mean, we're obviously always concerned about supply, making sure we've got enough supply coming to meet demand and trying to match supply to demand so that we can vary how we use the carcasses and, and all that side of it. So that, that keeps us up. Um, recently, we've had problems with deliveries getting to us. Um, you know, this shortage of drivers has impacted um, that way. So we expect a pallet of meat or some animals to arrive and they don't turn up. Sometimes they come a week late. Um, it's very difficult to make sure we supply everybody um, with that sort of a supply base at times. But we're circumventing most of that now. Um, um, we're permanently challenged in the summer months we don't sell as much as we'd like to. Yet we have a factory with overheads and um, costs um, that we have to maintain. And that is always a a challenging time in the summer. So that, that keeps me awake at times.
Okay, there we go. <coughs> Managing Director of Home Farm and Venison. Managing Director of Home Farm and Venison. Managing Director of Home Farm and Venison. <coughs> 